Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 86 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom. And Vera Grubbs, along with the rest of the crew. This month's show is a departure from our usual offerings, and we're devoting this entire episode to the addiction epidemic in Brown County. We'll present several viewpoints about this epidemic, including the conversations we recorded with some of the members of the Drug-Free Coalition in Brown County. We also have three musical guests who bring their own perspective to this issue. Joe Bollinger, Amanda Webb, and Barry Elkins. Brown County is not unique when it comes to drugs and the problems associated with them. From what we've been able to discern, the level of our drug problem is about the same as the counties that surround us. There's no definitive way to know the extent of this issue because some of the people we've talked with think the problem is getting substantially worse and no one believes we're anywhere near the end of it. What the experts do agree is opioid-related drugs are the most concerning because they so often lead to fatalities and because of the nature of these drugs, more people are arrested for them. However, by all accounts, methamphetamine represents the biggest problem that affects people in Brown and the surrounding counties. The single largest impediment to recovery is access to treatment. Centerstone is the only treatment center in the county, and they do good work. But they're an outpatient facility. Patients that need full-time care have to travel to another county for treatment. One highly regarded program is available at the Indiana Center for Recovery, which is an inpatient treatment center located in Bloomington. Presently, they only accept private insurance, so there's a financial barrier and there's the difficulty of finding transportation. According to the sources I contacted, almost all of the crime in Brown County and probably everywhere else is in one way or another drug-related. It's clear that in order to address crime in general, and specifically the drug addiction epidemic, we have to devote more resources to this issue and create easy and affordable access to treatment. We also need to do all we can by way of education and outreach to discourage drug use in the first place. It is our expressed hope that the Drug-Free Coalition in Brown County represents a positive way forward, and through their efforts, the tide will turn for all of the people who are suffering with this problem. Segment one begins with an essay that Jeff Tryon recorded in our studio in October of 2017. At the time, we didn't know what to do with it. Jeff succinctly outlined the problem and expressed the frustration many of us felt after years of inaction and half-baked attempts to deal with this problem. 
We saved this piece knowing that one day we would have a program where this powerful essay would fit in. And as you will hear later in the show, many of the concerns and observations Jeff shared in 2017 are now being addressed by the Drug-Free Coalition in Brown County. You can't handle the truth. There was a touching article in the paper a few weeks back by the school superintendent. She is sick and tired of attending the funerals of young people who have died from drug overdoses. I guess for her, the ongoing regional and national opiate epidemic has been hitting pretty hard and particularly close to home. And it seemed like more of a cry for help than an idea of what to do. Her thesis was, we have got to do something about kids killing themselves with heroin and destroying their lives and their families with methamphetamines. But what? What are we going to do about it? More of the same thing that we've been doing for my entire adult life? The so-called war on drugs has been the biggest failure in history of government programs. Every year of the war on drugs, for 40 years, the strength and availability of illicit drugs has increased and the cost has gone down. Even as the taxpayers poured endless billions into the fight and we as a nation incarcerated more of our citizens than any other nation on earth by a wide margin. And it is time for the taxpayers to have a Dr. Phil moment. How is this working out for us? It's a good sign when civil servants and elected officials actually get their heads up out of the sand long enough to ask the beginning questions. But do they have the courage to stop doing the same things that have failed over and over and to rethink the problem and take a new approach? I doubt it. Because we cling so tightly to our treasured notions. We tell ourselves the lies we want to hear, and we put on blinders to everything else. Plain fact is, we've grown accustomed to our lies. We can't handle the truth. We don't want to hear it, so we ignore it. The truth is, opium production in Afghanistan has increased every year since we have had a war going there. And it is now the longest-running war in American history. Every year of our occupation of Afghanistan... Opiate and heroin use has gone up in the United States. The truth is, the pharmaceutical companies and the physicians have been complicit in fueling this epidemic by a reckless promotion of Oxycontin and other pharmaceutical opiates for profit. They made billions, but the mess they made will cost the taxpayer billions to clean up. The truth is, going after the individual user is a long-term strategy for failure. The amount of drugs involved in an epidemic of this proportion are not coming in stuffed in somebody's shoe or in the false bottom of a suitcase. It is coming in by the plane load and by the truck load, and it is coming in with the complicity, with the cooperation of people in high places or key positions. The truth is, the most damaging and costly drugs in our society by far are alcohol and tobacco, all perfectly legal, accepted, and advertised. Your actual gateway drugs are beer and cigarettes. Kids start sneaking a cigarette or getting hold of some beer, and only much later do they think about what other mind-altering substances they might like to try. The truth is that human beings take drugs. They have always and will always seek ways to alter their consciousness, and they don't necessarily care what their neighbors, the powers that be, or anybody else thinks about that. Our current plan here in Brown County is to give over one entire wing of our nearly empty state-of-the-art jail to a drug rehabilitation facility. This is a tacit admission that the main crime problem we have in Brown County is a drugs problem or crimes fed by drug use. The plain fact is this drug problem is not a law enforcement problem. It's more of a social psychological problem. 
What we need is not more jail sales, but more rehab centers where we treat drug addiction for what it is, not a moral failing, but a medical issue. Last year or so, there was an article in the local paper about the growing heroin and opiate abuse problem, which focused on the case study of a young Brown County High School student who had gotten hooked on heroin. Then her parents sent her to a residential drug treatment program somewhere in California for, I think, six weeks or longer. Takes a while, you know, it's a process. What they neatly failed to mention was the cost. Can you imagine what six weeks in an inpatient treatment facility costs? So parents and others are faced with a situation where they know their teenager is veering off course, but what can they really do about it? There are no treatment options available to them. We're faced with a situation where the well-off addicts go to an out-of-state rehab center to be treated for an illness, and their poorer classmates and fellow junkies go off to the jail, where we hope they will learn their lesson about breaking the law. But listen, it's not a law enforcement kind of thing. The sheriff and his department are not trained, equipped, or inclined to treat addiction disorders and mental illness. It's not that kind of thing. We have them for a totally different purpose. You have to choose to be healthy. You have to choose not to use drugs today. People who are incarcerated tend to go along with the program. They do really good until they get out. Then they fall back into their old habits, and soon they are back in the custody of Brown County once again. At what point in that revolving door runaround do they get some kind of actual medical psychological help. It's a mental wellness issue. It's a mental health issue, and we've got to deal with it with the tools that work for that kind of a problem. We have a real problem with mental health in this country. Under Reagan, the government closed the mental health hospitals, and most of those people ended up on the street and ultimately, predictably, in jail or prison. So we as a nation made a decision, in effect, to treat mental illness as a crime. It's an education issue, but the foundation of this educational outreach has to be honesty because kids are well aware when they are being lied to. They know a double standard when they are experiencing it. One last truth you can't handle. It's the media, stupid. Kids do what they see on TV or the internet. Media is a lot more powerful and a lot more dangerous than anyone seems to understand. It's a book called The Plug-In Drug. It's about how people are actually physically addicted to the bandwidth they're receiving from their TVs and computer screens. You can put them on an EKG and watch physiological changes when they begin to fall under the spell of the one-eyed monster. But like drugs, TV is here to stay. It is always with us. So maybe we had better think a little more carefully about how we use it and what we use it for, about what messages we are sending and who is receiving them. So the something that we have to do about these kids killing themselves with heroin is to change the way we think about and deal with these kinds of problems. We need to admit once and for all that the drugs issue is not a military or law enforcement type issue. And we need to root out corruption in the military and judiciary that looks the other way and takes money from drug lords and gangsters. We need to hold pharmaceutical companies and physicians accountable for their actions and change the way that whole system is operated. We need to understand that everyone shares the social cost of this drug epidemic. Whether they are rich or poor, it is undermining and destroying our culture and society. We need to understand that incarceration and militarization is much more expensive than appropriate public health programs, which have the side benefit of actually working. We need to make addiction recovery facilities and personnel widely available and cost-free. We need to understand and begin to teach everyone about mental wellness and how to maintain it and how to recognize and react to mental illness. But change is really 
really hard. We do love our cherished notions, even when they're killing us. Segment one continues with our interview with Superintendent of Brown County Schools, Dr. Laura Hammock, as she and Melissa Tippetts explain the origins of the Drug-Free Coalition and how they developed the plan they are now putting into action. We close this segment with Joe Bollinger's original tune, Baker Allen Blues. So this evening we have Laura Hammock, who is uh, superintendent of schools and is also head of the Drug-Free Coalition in Brown County. And they are here to talk about their program and what they're doing. Thank you so much for coming in. We're really grateful to be here. Um, This is a wonderful opportunity to help spread really the the work and the message that the Drug-Free Coalition has sort of taken on over the last few years. This group has traditionally been the local coordinating council, which every county has one, or our community. And that work was focused with our energies towards uh, combating drug, alcohol, substance abuse issues that, you know, have, have been an issue across our county. But really, over the last few years, once the uh, local coordinating council morphed into the drug-free coalition, our efforts were really incentivized from profound issues of concern that have been plaguing our community. So um, lots of organizations pulled together and decided that we wanted to be named the Drug-Free Coalition because it had more intentionality and focus. And um, we wanted to be very strategic in the way in which we went about sharing information, collaborating, learning, and then hopefully growing and allowing for the community to grow as well. Well, I'm just so excited that this huge issue is finally being addressed. And so... Give us the bare bones of what it is you are doing. So um, our group is, it is a lovely representation of organizations from across the community. The schools are obviously at the table, and we have groups that represent mental health, health and wellness, law enforcement, juvenile justice, probation. We have really incredible energy coming from every platform across the community, and we were realizing that um, we would come together on a monthly basis and sit around the table and, you know, we were all had kind of a shared passion and a shared mission, but we weren't necessarily moving in a direction to kind of be able to measurably say that something was happening. And I really appreciate Chuck Yeager, a community member who kind of pulled our group together to say that we need to be very intentional with the work that we're doing and we need to start measuring what we're doing so that we can really celebrate the success and then kind of also analyze where we, there might be gaps and things that we need to, to fill in. So we have three groups are working in a strategic direction. The group that I chair is Prevention and Education. Um, Melissa chairs the uh, Treatment and Supports uh, Subcommittee Task Force, if you will. And then we have a Law Enforcement Task Force. And these groups are intending to achieve the goals of a strategic planning weekend uh, that the group engaged in. And so our efforts are just really trying to be measurable and focused and objective so that we can realize some real success in the end. Well, Melissa, why don't you talk about what you do? Yes, I'm the chair of the Treatment and Support Subcommittee, and we meet, you know, every month aside from the Drug-Free Coalition. And we've been working on a few different things, such as helping people to get into treatment faster. We've been working in the jails a little bit, trying to figure out how to 
you know, help people go from jail to treatment. We've been working on getting naloxone in the community. That's something that, you know, Jennifer does a lot with the health department. We've been working on a Brown County resource guide to help people know where to go and get treatment because, you know, for even myself as a mental health professional, it can be very overwhelming with what insurance does this place take? Beds are full. Where do I go? So we're, you know, trying to make that easier for people to, you know, know where to go if they or a loved one needs help. Well, there you go, because that's really it, isn't it? I mean, you're released from jail. You've got nowhere to go. You're out of the streets. You call your old friends and you're back on the Mm-hmm. The, the Ferris wheel again, right? Yeah. yeah. So w- what a remarkable development this is. And I, you know, all of us want to see this succeed. Thank you so much for sharing this information and coming in this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Joe Bollinger. I'm here to play a song I wrote. This song's called Baker Allen's Blues. And just like everyone around here, um, I've seen people I know, not to mention reading newspaper article after newspaper article about people overdosing and dying from this opioid stuff. It strikes me as a true epidemic, a true disaster uh, that people have been sucked into. In some cases, just bad luck. In some cases, they've been conned into it by a pharmaceutical industry that pushed them recklessly. So this is a song in remembrance of all the people who are struggling and who we've lost. Baker Allen, Baker Allen Child of the Midwest Just another Rust Belt Hoosier Okie Buck, I like the rest Never was the worst kid, by no means was the best Never made the honor roll, never failed a test His father was a teacher, his mother was a nurse By the age of 17, he was stealing from her purse Baker Allen, Baker Allen, how'd it come to this? I remember when you were a child, never had been kissed And I'll pray to the Lord above, you'll never suffer harm That monkey on your back and that needle in your arm Baker had a buddy, had a brother named Red Had a run-in with a Chevy and a script for Percocet Baker's buddy nabbed it and they ran out in the woods Popped a few and soon he knew he'd never felt this good It's a national disaster Some genesis curse That heroin is terrible That fentanyl is worse Baker Allen, Baker Allen How'd it come to this? I remember when you were a child Never had been kissed And I'll pray to the Lord above You'll never suffer harm that monkey on your back and the needle in your arm Last time that we saw him down on Rumark Avenue Dope sick as a mother but he said he had the flu And he asked me for a favor, help him make it through Fifty bucks would change his luck, what twenty-five would do And 
I hope he got that medicine Made it through the night The cops here have Narcan Maybe he's alright Baker Allen, Baker Allen How'd it come to this? I remember when you were a child Never had been kissed Pray to the Lord above You'll never suffer harm That monkey on your back And the needle in your arm Baker Allen, Baker Allen Son of the Midwest Just another strung out Hoosier Okie buck I like the rest Every time you kick it You're a murderer Have to kill the men you are To save the man you were And you know that old saying Fight the best you can If at first you don't succeed Then die and die again Baker Allen, Baker Allen Heart goes out to you This burden that you're bearing Only you can carry it through And I'll pray to the Lord above You reach the other side Find some happy boring peace Peaceful boring life Find some happy boring peace And a peaceful boring life Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Power Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. In this segment, we'll listen to a conversation we had with a group called the Recovery Community. They serve as examples of what recovery looks like, and they offer their support by presenting their stories to those who are currently struggling with addiction. We also have a conversation with local musician Amanda Webb, who shares some of her feelings about the issue and the origin of her song, Sailing. This evening, we have an enormous number of people in here representing the Drug-Free Coalition of Brown County, Indiana. And our first conversation is going to be with the recovery community. You all want to introduce yourselves? I'm Melanie Tevinoff. I'm Layla Davis. I'm Patrick Stanley. Your name implies that you have some personal experience with all of this. Absolutely. You want to talk about how this fits into the big picture? The committee decided to ask um, recovering addicts in the community to share their voice, be the voice, to help them get what they're trying to do for the community out there from what an addict needs to know what to do, meaning... To tell your story, to express what your actual experiences are. Yeah, to let the other addicts know, the addicts that are still suffering know that um, there is hope um, to bridge the gap between the hopelessness that you finally get to, to understand that the resources are here and um, we're that voice for the addict who still suffers, even though we are in recovery, but also to help the committee get to the addicts that are still suffering. So here you are. You, you have gone through the process, and you are the example to other people who are still struggling with this process, that you're, there is life at the end of the tunnel. Correct. 
because we each have our own story. And even though all our stories are different and traumatic to all of us, there is a similarity. And in being able to come together as a group and share our experiences is how we heal and how we pass on the word that this is possible, that we don't have to give up and to encourage other people not to give up on us. I can definitely appreciate that. And uh, it, it occurs to me that you have a perspective that no one else in this room has and that your voice may, in fact, be amongst the most important voices in the whole conversation. So how are you working with all, all these other characters that I'm surrounded by tonight? I go to the meetings, and they have an agenda and things that they want to get done throughout the year to give people the availability to contact somebody. And I think where we come in is it's one thing to get a hold of somebody who needs recovery, but it's another thing to keep them in it because a lot of times our resources aren't there immediately. I think the example I used is like when an addict is at the bottom, like it says in the literature, you know, it's jail institutions or death that um, we don't want this to get to the death. But what we want to do is to, I call it bridge the gap to where we don't lose them. Because a lot of times, say like an addict goes to the emergency room and says, I need help. Well, in my experience, um, which is what I did, the answer I got was, we can make an appointment in 90 days. And aren't you glad that you just at least made it to the emergency room? As an addict who is still suffering, I didn't have 90 days. I didn't have nine minutes. You know, so what was I supposed to do for 90 days? Well, I'll tell you what I did in nine minutes. Why not just go back out and use? So I think the committee is doing a great job trying to make sure that we can get a hold of these people as soon as they do need help, whether it coming right out of a jail or just coming on their own or someone that needs help that goes to Centerstone to keep them in the process and not let them lose hope that, yeah, it's going to take a minute, but that minute's going to be worth it. But we want to keep in contact with them, either, you know, encouraging them to go to meetings, encouraging them to go to Centerstone, encouraging them to go to church, to do whatever it takes to get them in the process and continue in the process. So in a way, it's uh, you're functioning as like sponsors, similar to how AA operates. The- Correct. Um, there are several 12-step programs. There's quite a few 12-step programs now, AA being one, NA being one, um, Celebrate Recovery. There's other support groups too, you know, like Battlefield, that's here in Brown County. So to get them into those groups can help keep them going until they can get the real help. Because a lot of times with addiction, it's not just about the drug, it's actually about a possible mental illness. You know, this is a disease, and just to get people to realize that it is a disease is hard enough because a lot of times there's stigma that still remains. If you come out and say, hey, I'm a recovering addict, as soon as you hear that word addict, a lot of people are just going to be like, ooh, yeah, you made a bad decision. You get what right. you deserve. Well, that's the the horrible assumption that you have a character flaw, and we all know better now. I mean, this scourge has touched every family, including my own. So, you know, no one's immune. No amount of love prevents it. And you guys are offering a beacon of hope. And I congratulate you on your journey. And thank you so much for what you're doing and trying to make this situation better. Thank you. I mean, it's you supporting us that is making it better. Well, 
This is so necessary, and I'm glad to see it happening. Thank you so much for coming in. It's my privilege to be speaking with Amanda Webb, and she's written a rather special song that's pertinent to the topic that we're addressing on this particular show, and it's called Sailing. Uh, Amanda, you want to pick it up from there and kind of share some of your thoughts? Sure. Um, I uh, First, I should talk about what the song's about. It's about being in a relationship with somebody who is an addict. The first line of the song is, I tried to save what couldn't be saved. Because that that's to remind me that no matter how hard I try, I can't walk someone away from their addiction. They have to do that. But I can stay with them. And so I the whole song is a comparison of sailing out to this other ship, being with them, and no matter what happens, the water is blue and plain and life is just great, or if things are cloudy and there's storms coming, no matter what's going on, all I can do is is be there and wait for the next day because maybe I'm not there and I can't necessarily save them, but I can be there to rescue them when the time comes. If they're ready to go home, if they're ready to come home, then, then I can still go there. And in my mind, and um, especially addressing the opioid addiction that we've been fighting so desperately here in Brown County, um, you don't want to give up. It's it's really hard to stay the course and continue to to be there and to watch them as they stumble through all of these changes and to have to to deal with their problem sailing alongside with them. But the truth is, if they're still alive, if there's one more day, there is always a chance you're going to bring that person home. There's always that hope. And there's always this, and there's, in, in sailing, I also struggled in the bridge. It, it expresses how I struggle with not understanding why this person continues to destroy themselves. I don't work on destroying myself. I don't understand that at all. And I just wish they would be okay. And I can't understand their reasons for doing it. I can't understand why they can't get out of it. I can't understand why it keeps going in the cycles. I just don't get it. It's not a part of me, but it is a part of them. And I love them through it and continue to stay the course because of that hope that one day there there's still a chance that one day. Amanda, thank you very much. Spirit calms me when I sleep 
Pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. In our final segment, we'll hear our conversation with members of the Drug-Free Coalition who are focused on treatment. They outline what treatments are available and where you can go to get help. The drug addiction epidemic has touched many lives, and to put a human face on this story, Dave Seastrom reflects on the life of his daughter, Lodi. We'll close the show with Barry Elkins performing the John Prine tune, Sam Stone. So now we are speaking to a group from the Drug-Free Coalition, uh, and they are focused on the treatment end of this whole equation. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves and tell us exactly what it is they're doing. So... Um, I'm Melissa Tippetts. I'm the chair of the Treatment and Supports Subcommittee of the Brown County Drug-Free Coalition. Okay. I'm Mandy Grilla. I'm the program manager for Centerstone's Mobile Opioid Crisis Response Team. I'm Jennifer Unsworth. I'm the new nursing supervisor at the health department and the vice chair of the Brown County Drug-Free Coalition. What exactly are you focused on? Treatment is a big word. How are we, how is that going to be implemented? What are, what are your thoughts in those directions? 
you know, treatment, there are a lot of different ways and it looks different for everyone. But um, we are working on helping people find treatment. We are working on um, distributing naloxone in the community. We are working on a resource guide to help people find treatment. Okay. I've uh, I've heard of this drug. Um, Different than methadone. Um, it's not quite a, a, a true opiate replacement. Is that correct? I think Jennifer could probably speak on that since okay. she is a nurse. <laughs> well, Jennifer, share with us what this drug is and, and how it helps people. The naloxone is an opioid reversal drug. So it <clears throat> stops the opioid reaction in the body and allows, like if somebody has overdosed, it allows them to come back. Okay. So th- is this simply an overdose reversal drug, or is there also a therapeutic aspect to it and continuing treatment? Naloxone is an overdose okay. drug. So you're trying to get this in the hands of law enforcement? Law enforcement, fire departments, counseling centers, churches, schools. Okay. Patients and families. Yes. Mm. Community members. How's that going? It's going very well. I received a grant from Indiana State Department of Health, and I requested 120 doses, and I got those in July, and then um, I requested 60 more, and then I had a few more. I ended up giving away 183 just from July to December last year. Does that represent the number of lives you saved? I don't know about that. A, a, a lot of it has gone to law enforcement and fire departments I that see. come up on So it's still in circulation. Yes, Some of that's still, still in okay. circulation. Okay. Um, a lot of it has gone to community members and families of addicted ones. Do you have any idea how many doses have been administered? I have no idea. Okay. So in treatment, um, I have heard of two drugs, uh, methadone and suboxone. Is that something that you're going to be working with as part of the continuing treatment of these people? or For that, um, I believe that we refer out to different agencies that actually do that treatment because it's really sparse in Indiana. Okay. So you're not talking about creating a treatment center, so to speak, in Brown County, or is that something that's on the in the works? I mean, hopefully, you know, one day that would be amazing. But right now we do have Centerstone that is an outpatient facility. Okay. And Centerstone as an organization is the local community mental health center in Brown County. And uh, Centerstone does provide medication-assisted treatment. Okay. Uh, we do provide Suboxone for patients. And we would also prescribe Vivitrol, um, which is a, a complete um, opioid blocker. Yeah. So. That's usually a subcutaneous, like once a month injection um, that would block anyone from using, they would, it would block the effects of any opioid that would, would be taken. So that is something that Centerstone currently offers. Um, and the physicians that have the prescription and the capability of prescribing medication-assisted treatment typically have a higher level of licensure um, and are required to follow some very strict um, prescribing guidelines and monitoring. So Centerstone does, uh, we do provide medication-assisted treatment in those two capacities. We do not provide methadone, but uh, there are some methadone clinics that have recently opened in counties as near as Monroe. Okay. Overall, do you feel like you're succeeding in getting these life-saving drugs to the people that need them, that uh, get the, can administer them when uh, the time of crisis comes? Yes. Good. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, this evening we've had various components from the Drug-Free Coalition, and I'm impressed that 
you've formed these different groups, and each of each of these groups has a focus. And um, I, I think that's brilliant. And uh, I really appreciate your coming in and sharing this information. I'm happy to share a little more about the crisis response team if you're interested oh, in please. hearing that. please. Let's yeah. hear that. So um, an offshoot of what Centerstone offers, um, and Melissa can probably speak to the continuum of care that's available at Centerstone here in Brown County. But in addition to that, um, given this, the fact that Indiana is in kind of the midst of the opioid crisis and we're still considered actively in an opioid crisis, um, we have received Centerstone, applied for and was awarded um, two grants that I think really do impact um, your community. And those funding, that funding came from 21st Century Cures um, and then is being co-managed by the Department of Mental Health and Addictions here in Indiana, along with Centerstone. And the first grant, I think, really um, complements so well what your recovery group mentioned earlier, is that we do have uh, what we call peers in the ED. And so that is a program that I manage that has and allows two peer recovery specialists, so people who are themselves living in long-term recovery, um, to be working full-time in the emergency room at both Columbus Regional Hospital and IU Health in Bloomington. So anytime, their goal there is exactly what the uh, peers have already mentioned here tonight, is to instill hope that recovery is possible, that they are living proof. And they typically engage anyone who comes into the emergency room who has received Narcan um, or has had an opioid reversal. and uh, to just engage with them and talk with them and try and get them engaged in some services right then and there. And that's a real compliment to the uh, opioid crisis response team that I also manage. And that covers seven counties actually here in southeast Indiana. Um, we cover Bartholomew, Brown, Lawrence, Jackson, Jennings, Morgan, and Monroe counties. And that team currently consists of about five um, clinicians. Myself as the program manager, we have three recovery coaches and a licensed therapist. And so when we receive a referral, such as from the hospital, our peer might call us and say, um, I've engaged with you know, this client tonight. She recently experienced an overdose and she's interested in getting help. So we have a recovery coach follow up within the first day or so. We can call the client. One real benefit is that our staff is primarily community-based. So we'll go to the client's home if they don't have adequate transportation. And we engage with them and just try to meet them where they are to find out, are you interested in going to residential? Do you want to consider trying intensive outpatient? So if they're interested in services, then we have them meet with our licensed therapist who does a full comprehensive psychosocial assessment and then gets them engaged to the appropriate level of care. And frequently that is our local center's done. Well, that's incredibly encouraging. How, how long has this been in place? So our grant began last December. Uh, and the first year will, was completed in, I believe, August. Um, our current funding runs through April of this year. And so we really went live in April of 2017. Um, Brown County, I would say we've received a handful of referrals, and those referrals have um, 100% come from the local sheriff's department when they have gone out uh, and, and utilized the Narcan that the grant that Jennifer worked so hard on getting has provided them. They let us know when they've administered it, and maybe not in every case, but in most cases. And then that really gives us an opportunity to call that client, meet with them at their home, and get them engaged in some services. At Centerstone in Brown County, we have um, children's services. We have adult services. For adults, we have IOP, which, which is an intensive outpatient program. We have um, various therapy groups, individual therapy, family therapy, case management. 
we have recovery coaches as well as peer recovery specialists, which, you know, are people that have been in recovery for a while. You know, they're helping and, you know, talking to people, going to meetings together. Like like the folks we met earlier yes, this evening. Yes, yes. Layla is, um, we just hired her as a peer recovery specialist. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you're trying to develop and are developing a comprehensive plan. I think as an outside observer, uh, and, you know, unfortunately, I know a lot of people who have struggled with this, and they fall through the cracks. And it seems to me what you're trying to do is make sure that doesn't happen. Yes. And, you know, being in a rural area, there are more barriers to people getting treatment. You know, there are a lot of people that don't have internet. There are a lot of people that don't have transportation. So, you know, getting to them and bringing them in something that we try to focus on too. One focus of the treatment and supports team is bringing people in um, a spectrum of providers, you know, doctors, pharmacists, hopefully dentists soon, you know, the health department all coming together to, you know, work on these issues. Because from what, you know, I understand a lot of people, you know, they get their first pill from a doctor and that, you know, can lead to an addiction. So mm. working on how to collaborate and communicate better them is really important. The opioid crisis in general has often been referred to as an iatrogenic crisis, which just is uh, a fancy way of saying it's it was initiated and, and began based on physicians' prescribing practices. Mm. And so one of the really important pieces of the committee um, that is so functional and and runs so smoothly here in Brown County is really trying to incorporate that cross-collaboration so that um, our our key stakeholders in your community are not siloed, but they're working together for the same mission and goal. Sure. How can we get Narcan? You can stop by the local health department, which is 201 Locust Lane, or you can also get it at Centerstone. There are um, partner distribution location. So if you come into the health department to get Narcan, you ask for one of the nurses, and we will give you one or two doses, depending on what you request. We do not take any private information. Um, We are required to train on the administration of the naloxone, which is just a real short training, and then we give a packet of substance abuse um, facilities, mental health facilities, suicide hotlines, parents of addicted loved ones meetings, and so on. And then you just walk out with your naloxone. Tremendous. Yes, um, we just wanted to also point out if you want to get involved in the Brown County Drug-Free Coalition, the meeting is held the third Monday of every month at the high school from noon to 2, And the treatment team meeting is the first Monday of every month at the Brown County Library from 1230 to 2 o'clock. Thank you so much. My daughter Lodi was born in our home on Three Story Hill Road on a cold winter's night in January 27, 1981. Her Aunt Teresa was the midwife, and our very pregnant dear friend Sheila Evans was in attendance. Lodi's brother Ben, who was suffering from a severe cold, spent much of the evening sleeping on a pile of blankets in the corner of the bedroom. Compared to her brother's birth, hers went much quicker and easier, and she was born into my own hands in the early evening. As I placed her into her mother's waiting arms, I called out the news that our baby was a girl. Ben was the first one to speak, and he said, I love my sister. That's how it all began. From the moment she was born, she was loved and cherished. 
As the years passed, Lodi became the best goodwill ambassador I've ever worked with. The PR value of having her with me was immeasurable. Everywhere we went, people were attracted to this little charmer, and no matter how ugly my truck was at the time, or how gnarly I looked after a day's work, people figured that anyone who could come up with a child like that must be okay. Lodi spent some of the happiest summers of her life at Camp Palawapak. She loved being a pecker, and she made many lifelong friends while roaming the hills and singing around the campfire. Her friends were the most important people in her life. For several years, when she was a teenager, none of the rest of us could use the phone. Years before cell phones, she had the telephone glued to the side of her face. In desperation, we decided to try a new service called Call Waiting, in hopes that we might receive some of our calls. This worked pretty good until Lodi figured out how to talk to two people at once. She loved school, and she was given the Girl of the Year Award when she was in sixth grade at Helmsburg Elementary. When she attended Brown County High School, she was accepted as a member of the National Honor Society. During her junior year, she became a foreign exchange student and spent a year in Denmark. During this time, I was missing her like crazy, and the phone bills were eating me alive, so I decided to go there and visit. This experience was a real eye-opener for me, and in the months since we had seen each other, she was a new Lodi. She'd become a woman of the world, and she exuded confidence and maturity. Early in her college experience, she made the dean's list, and her future seemed assured. But Lodi was always a party girl, and somewhere along the way she had a boyfriend that talked her into trying heroin. He presented the logic that if they only used on the weekends, they wouldn't become addicted. This worked for a while, but after one long weekend, they both woke up sick and they were hooked. After she broke up with this boy, she managed to kick her habit and was clean for several years. She never let her family know this happened. Recidivism is part of the addiction cycle. We don't know exactly when she started using again, but by the time she was accepted into nursing school, her habit was out of control. We knew there was something wrong, but we didn't know what it was. I was so ignorant about addiction at that time, I didn't attribute her behavior to drugs. I thought she was depressed or stubbornly refusing to grow up. I was very worried about her, and I would drop by her apartment unexpectedly or call her at odd hours to see how she was doing. None of this brought me closer to the truth, and somehow Lodi kept her condition hidden from all of us. In the early evening of May 22, 2007, Lodi injected a dose of heroin that killed her instantly. She was 26 years old, with her whole life ahead of her. She wasn't found until the next day, and we weren't informed until that evening. We didn't know it at the time, but she was in the vanguard of the opioid addiction crisis that we are now facing. At the time of her death, there were very few treatment options, and I suspect she felt hopeless. There were several people in Lodi's life that knew she was addicted, and no one said anything to us. If you know that, someone you care about is going through this, tell their family, because secrecy kills. The point to all of this is that Lodi was loved. 
She came from a good home, and she was offered lots of advantages in her life. What happened to her can happen to anyone. It's a terrible mistake to assume that addiction is the result of a character flaw. It's not. It's the result of bad choices made by good people. When my daughter died 12 years ago, society was in denial about this issue. Today, we know better, and we are seeing a concerted effort to address this situation. In this month's show, we heard from many people who are trying to make a difference in Brown County, and all of us need to do what we can to help them. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. Sam Stone came home to his wife and family After serving in the conflict overseas But the time that he'd served Had shattered all his nerves Left a bit of strap in his knee But the morphine eased the pain and the grass grew around his brain They gave him all the confidence he lacked With a purple heart and a monkey on his back There's a hole in daddy's arm Where all the money go Jesus Christ died for nothing, I suppose Little pictures have big ears and don't stop to count the years. Sweet songs never last too long on broken radio. Mm-hmm. Sam Stone's a welcome home, it didn't last too long. Went to work after he did spend his last dime. Sammy took to stealing when he got that empty feeling With a hundred dollar habit but no overtime But the gold rolled through his veins like a thousand railroad trains And it eased his mind in the hours that he chose While the kids ran around wearing nothing people's clothes There's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money go Jesus Christ died for nothing I suppose Little pictures have big ears Don't stop to count the years The sweet song never lasts too long Broken radio mm-hmm. Sam Stone was alone When he popped his last balloon Climbing walls while sitting in a chair And he played his last request And the room smelled just like death With an overdose hovering in the air It seemed life had lost its fun 
There's nothing to be done Could trade his house that he bought on G.I. Bill Four flag draped casket on a local Hebrews Hill There's a hole in daddy's arm Where all the money goes Jesus Christ died for nothing, I suppose Little pitchers have big ears Don't stop to count the years The sweet song never lasts too long on Broken radio Thanks for tuning in to episode 86 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. And be sure to look for us on iTunes and Stitcher. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe now more than ever that the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Jim Lemon, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour, coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.